Well, we are currently in a sermon series, and we are beginning the fourth week of our sermon series, which is really the fourth week of Eastertide, and it's called Resurrected Lives, Six Encounters with the Risen Christ. Well, friends, with great joy in my heart as I stand before you today, I am here to testify to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And today we are in Luke's gospel. And Luke recounts the story of two of Jesus' followers, which we just heard with the children this morning, two of Jesus' followers who encountered Jesus on a walk. Bible scholars refer to this as one of the finest stories ever told in the New Testament. It's a spellbinding story that portrays two sides of our faith journey, being distant from God and unable to see God, being close to God and able to see God. Now, in a moment, Jenny is going to read the story for us, but before that, allow me to set the scene for you. Luke tells us that on the same day of Jesus' resurrection, these two were on a seven-mile walk away from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, two days prior, they witnessed the betrayal, suffering, and death of Jesus, their beloved teacher and friend. And as they left Jerusalem, they were deep in grief and confused about the reports of the empty tomb. One of the the followers' names was Cleopas, and we don't know the other name. And it's believed that they were heading home, that Emmaus was their home. So our reading is from a paraphrased version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson's The Message. Let's listen to the story. This is Luke 24, 13 through 36. The same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? He said, What has happened? They said, The things that happened to Jesus, the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And now it is the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with a story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, So thick-headed, 
slow, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So we went in with them, and here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him, and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite getaway places is Leavenworth. And I always stay at the same hotel. And I've become friends with one of the managers there, and and she has shared some of her story with me. Years ago, her brother was murdered, she was divorced, and recently her mother and her beloved died Her beloved dog died very close together in the same time. She shares a lot about her search for truth and her longing for hope and comfort. She is grieving. A self-proclaimed agnostic, she believes in God but can't grasp that God is near and that God is personal and relational. She says, Diana, I just can't see God. I can't feel God's presence. Though she doesn't feel like she's meeting God, she persists in her search for God. She's a humble soul, and she confesses that she can't live apart from God. And that is a good place to be, isn't it? It's a good place for her. It's a good place for all of us to be, to know that we can't live apart from God. We were created to need God. And there are times when God seems inaccessible. He seems absent. He seems silent. And we can't discern what God is doing in our lives. This is especially true when we are struggling with something in our lives. For for ourselves or for someone else that we care about. And that's what we see in this story today. Luke tells us that while the disciples were walking away from Jerusalem, they were deep in conversation. Translated in the Greek, they were intense debate. They were searching for answers, grappling with what had happened to Jesus and wondering about this empty tomb. But the one thing that they knew for sure that day was that Jesus was far, far away. 
they literally and figuratively were losing sight of Jesus, of what he had taught and who he was. And like, it was like looking into a rearview mirror and losing clarity the further away they got from Jerusalem. They couldn't see. Now, verse 17 describes the disciples as long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. The NIV says that their faces were downcast. The Greek word that Luke is using here is similar to the words that's used in Matthew 26 that describes how Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. The word is paralupas, And it means to be afflicted beyond measure, to be deeply sorrowful. When the gospel writers quoted the Old Testament, they used the Greek word in their translation of the Old Testament. And this word is found in Psalm 42. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go to meet my God? My tears have been my food all day, night, and all day long. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why disturb within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is a prayer of humility, of being brought down to the point of being unable to help oneself. Deep in sorrow and confusion, these two disciples were brought down. They had followed Jesus closely, and though his teach and through his teaching and his miracles, he opened their eyes into the inbreaking of God's kingdom in the world. They witnessed God's promised new world order coming into being of hope and of redemption. It was unfolding before their very own eyes in Jesus. And from their perspective on this day, this had all come to a halt. It was over. Jesus was gone. They were poor in spirit. Jesus taught about what it means to be poor in spirit in his Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, I'm in a covenant group that meets on Thursday nights at Joe and Peggy Upton's house. I hear some people out there giggling. Some of the people in the covenant group, I hear you. Yeah. And we're studying Daryl Johnson's book on the Beatitudes, and it's a sermon series. And we had a wonderful discussion about this first Beatitude just on Thursday night. Joe, this is when you can ask your question. He was teasing me before the service. Can I ask you any questions during the sermon? Do you have any questions, Joe? Well, what does, this, what does this mean? What did Jesus mean when he said poor in spirit? It means that we always need God. We were created to live dependently. We are never able to live apart from God. That is the truth, is what Jesus is saying. When we live apart from God, we become spiritually destitute because we are deprived of God's love and God's grace. 
So when Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of heaven and you are blessed, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit. He's saying to us that we're blessed because we are receiving God's love and God's grace. It's taking hold in us. That's what blesses us. But to be poor in spirit is the pathway to being blessed. So these two on the road to Emmaus were spiritually deprived. And these were the ideal conditions for them to receive Jesus when he joined them on this two and a half hour walk. I kind of wonder, though, if when Jesus showed up, as you may be wondering, if they felt like he was invading their space. Yeah? Luke describes it this way. It sounds like, a, it's like it just seems like it's a, a violation of social etiquette. Do you wonder if one of them might have said to Jesus, well, well excuse me? Like, what are you doing? You know? Mind your own business. Leave us alone. Well, we've all been in situations like that, right? But knowing what we know from the gospel stories, Jesus didn't ever force himself on anyone. So we can probably assume that when Jesus came along that day, it was a gentle and gracious appearance. But he was also aware of the condition of their hearts, don't you think? So what does he do? He simply asks the question, what is it that you're discussing? In this simple question, Jesus meets them right where they are, and with intrigue and curiosity, he says, tell me more. Tell me more. What's on your heart? What's confusing you? They literally stop in their tracks, and Cleopas says, Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what just took place here? Where have you been? It almost seems like he's a little bit annoyed. Haven't you heard what just took place in Jerusalem? They were poor in spirit, so they didn't have any answers. They're not feeling very much consolation and hope at this point. So I wouldn't fault Cleopas if he is feeling a little bit agitated, if indeed that's what he was feeling. But Luke tells us that they didn't recognize Jesus. It's hard to see Jesus when we're hurting, when we're groping in the dark, when we're lacking clarity and focus. It's hard to see Jesus when our vision is narrowed And it's hard to open up to Jesus and and to pray. But Jesus walks right up to them, and something about his presence signals to them that they can tell him their story. So they bore their hearts with Jesus, and Jesus was no doubt fully present and attentive, listening and compassionate and patient with every word. That's our Lord. Now, you might be thinking, wasn't his response to them a bit harsh when he said, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted? Why can't you simply believe? Well, I think there was probably a purpose in Jesus' directness. It probably jarred them a bit. 
It probably captured their attention to help lift them out of the malaise and the confusion of their hearts, to open them up. Direct and honest confrontation when done with love and grace, and I imagine it was done with much love and grace, is often just what is needed when we are brought down and unable to help ourselves. Isn't that true, friends? Jesus understood that it wouldn't be easy for these disciples to grasp the upside-down ways of God in the crucifixion. Wouldn't it be confusing? And this is, this is God's way. It's upside down, but it was the path for, towards redemption. Jesus knew that they needed to learn more about the mystery of God's ways. And after all, wasn't that the primary po- focus of Jesus' ministry when he was on earth anyway? It was to explain God's ways to us. So as they're walking along, Jesus did just that. And through the conversation, they learned that their view of the events in Jerusalem just weren't lining up with the ways of God. Perhaps they were beginning to grasp and understand the meaning of the cross. And maybe they were regaining their sight. Maybe they were able to cope better with what was going on in Jerusalem and to turn in the direction of the cross. To turn in the direction of pain and suffering, the pain and suffering of their Lord, and how he may be identifying with their pain and suffering. But they haven't recognized him yet. As they drew close to Emmaus, Jesus acts as if he's going on, but they say, stay with us, stay with us, come and eat with us. Notice again that there's something about who Jesus is and what he is saying that was tapping into what they already knew, what they heard before, and they're longing to hear more. So he joins them for supper, and no doubt the conversation continues. It's a simple meal in a cottage home. An ordinary loaf of bread was being divided, and at that point, the disciples were the hosts at the table. And then Jesus, this person that they didn't recognize, did something odd but very familiar He became the host. They became the guests at his table. This ordinary meal became sacred and holy when Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, he gave it to them, and at that moment, what happened, friends? They recognized him. It dawned on them that as they walked with Jesus, as they listened to him explain the scriptures, as they received the bread, that Jesus had been with them all along. Suddenly their minds and their hearts were awakened to the mystery of the cross and the resurrection. And they may have recalled that the breaking of the bread that Thursday night was now to be a symbol for all time 
of Jesus' saving grace and eternal presence. How astonishing this must have been. How astonishing for us to hear the story today. Amazing grace. At this point in the story then, Luke tells us that Jesus vanished from their sight. He was gone. How could Jesus appear and then disappear? Well, people often think that resurrection simply means life after death or going to heaven. But in the Jewish world, resurrection meant a new embodied life in God's new world. Resurrection for the Jewish people meant new embodied life in God's new world. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul explains this for us. He explains that when we die, God will give us a new body that is not subject to decay and death. Jesus, when he was with them, had muscles and bones, but he was also glorified. The book of Revelation says that in God's new world, heaven and earth will be fused together as one. That's God's new world. So, Jesus' new body belonged in both dimensions of heaven and earth. That is how he could appear and disappear, appear and disappear. So when he appears to these disciples, Jesus helps them to see that he was real by doing the things that they were used to seeing him do when he was walking with them. So he taught them. He broke the bread with them. He walked with them. So after Jesus disappeared, what happened for them was that their hearts were on fire with passion and hope. It was a visceral reaction, friends, to the fact that Jesus was right there in their presence. They had a visceral response. Their hearts were burning. So they got up, and with urgency, they headed back to Jerusalem. Essentially, they made a U-turn. Their encounter with Jesus turned them around, and they headed toward the cross, a cross that represents powerlessness and dependence on God's presence and power to restore life and hope. Amazing grace. I'm grateful that Luke recorded this story for us so that people in the first century and us too would know and believe that Jesus is alive, that he wants to engage with us in our need. Each of us here today can find ourselves in this story. Whether we are aware of it or not, we are all poor in spirit. Something in our lives is showing us that we need God. That we are poor in the things of God. That we can't live independent of God. We need Jesus to come alongside us, to love us. 
to listen to us, to counsel us, to give us courage and hope in the midst of our need. Friends, Jesus is here now in this place. He's doing what he did in the first century. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is present with us and eager to help us. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, he wants to have contact with us, to converse with us, and to change us. I want to close by telling a little more of the story of my friend in Leavenworth. She knows that I'm a pastor here at North Creek and that I serve as a pastor for Renewal Ministries, a ministry that provides opportunity for people to receive spiritual refreshment and renewal through prayer. Well, when I was there in January, I shared a little of my story with her, the place where I have been feeling poor in spirit. I shared that my dad had died recently, that we had to sell our family home that we lived in for where dad lived in for 50 years. It was the place that I went to as a refuge on vacation back in Ohio. And I told her that my little Yorkshire Terrier, Cammie, was dying of cancer. With great compassion, she listened to me. She was pastoring me. I said, I don't feel much consolation these days, but the thing I can tell you, Kim, is this, that during my times alone with God in prayer, I feel his presence. He talks to me. He talks to me about my places where I'm poor in spirit. And he's changing me. Well, that night, it was the last night that I was there, and she called me on my cell phone. And she said, can you give me, what is your website address for Renewal Ministries? So I gave it to her. And then she called back a little bit later, and she said, I went on your website. I was so drawn in to what I was reading there that I couldn't pull myself away. And we have stories of people, we put stories of people who have been impacted in their times alone with God in prayer. She said, something was happening in me while I was reading those stories that was deeply impactful. And then she said, you know, your ministry is the real deal. <laughs> it's an agnostic, friends. Your ministry is the real deal. It said, it's she said, it's really helping a lot of people. So the next day we talked, and I said to her, I think you might have been being, being met by God last night while you were reading our website. I think God was speaking to you. I think you were praying. She looked at me and she said, I agree. You know, this story of these two men walking to Emmaus is our story. It has deeply impacted me while I've been preparing this sermon. 
And friends, I feel invited even this morning to turn and just say, Lord, I need you. Would you come and meet me in those places where I feel poor in spirit this morning? We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive. And all you ask of us is to simply come and turn in the direction of the cross towards your pain and suffering and the way in which you invite us to ponder how you sit with us in our pain and suffering. Amen.